I used to love feeling scared, but after what I've seen, I'm just permanently numb. My friends and I often played a self-scaring game where we'd visit haunted locations at night, take pictures, move around in the dark, and try to embrace fear as deeply as possible. It was our way of getting an adrenaline rush. Some people went skydiving and some people raced cars. But we purposely scared the hell out of ourselves. Gabby was the biggest fear junkie out of all of us. She was the one most interested in taking photographs too. As if she was intent on proving a supernatural actually existed. I didn't have the heart to tell her that I didn't actually think there was anything out there. We'd been to century-old hospitals where tuberculosis patients had died in mass. We'd stay the night in horrible prisons with the lights off. We'd even gone up to a spot in the woods where it was rumored a mass murder had taken place in the 1800s. Throughout it all, we'd never once seen anything out of the ordinary. It'd always be fun, though... So when the dealer at my college party offered me something new, I immediately thought of Gabby. She scoffed when I showed her the little circular dark blue pills. Remy? What the hell is Remy? Is that like Molly? No, I said, looking around at the party to make sure nobody was watching us. It's new. My guy says it puts you in a REM dream state while still awake. That's why it's called Remy. Her weariness faded as she realized the implications. Is it safe? I grinned. I knew I had her interest, as safe as dreaming. She grabbed our friend Kurt, and we were out of the door without even saying goodbye to anyone else at the party, practically salivating over the prospect of this new adventure. She rhetorically asked, What's the scariest place around here? Kurt, the most reluctant of our trio, shook his head, if we're going to be doing this Remy stuff, can't we first try it somewhere normal? I don't want to freak out and, you know, get hurt or something. I nodded diplomatically. Gabby sighed. Fine. She looked up and down the orange-led street. Taking stock of the random scattered college kids on their way to and fro in the chilly night. How about Here? Here? Kurt asked, like, in public? I didn't see any body acting crazy. Before we could all agree, she took one of the several I'd given her and downed it. Here goes nothing. Shrugging at Kurt, I took one too, and he joined with reluctance. Nothing happened at first, and of course, I'd forgotten to ask how long it would take to kick in. Should we walk? Let's go get sodas at the get-go, Gabby suggested. Something about her sentence felt a little odd. It was already starting to have a little effect. I walked alongside my two friends, studying the orange street lamps overhead and passerbys in the distance. That was the curious thing about dreams. You could never quite tell when they began. You were simply and suddenly there. Psst. I turned and saw a thin blonde girl standing in a nearby yard. She waved me over. Hey. What's up? I asked, 
Behind me, Kurt and Gabby turned to look at her. The more I looked at her, the more details seemed to become clear. Grey bottoms, a sweatshirt, a gaunt face. Wait, what? She shivered. Despite her warm clothes, um, you got anything I can eat? Like, anything at all? I looked at Kurt, who shrugged and threw an ounce away from his pocket. She caught it, gulped it down, without chewing, sighed happily, and vanished. I'm pretty sure all three of us screamed at the same time. More out of shock than fear. That triple scream seamlessly became laughter as we realized that Remy was working. We'd all just dreamed a girl standing in a yard. Kurt's Altoid sat in the grass, a tiny white speck in dark, glimmering emerald. But I was still awake and smart enough to realize that we'd all seen the same thing. Did the drug also cause people to share the same waking dream? Or were we creating some false participatory memory? It was impossible to know. Our analytic abilities were deteriorating as the stroops and ramshackle undergraduated houses around us took on a surreal qualities. Waking dreaming was its own class of crazy. With far more awareness than usual, I was able to see how my stream of consciousness constantly shaped and remodeled everything around me. A house ahead grew taller, reminding me vaguely of an ancient Greek temple. It morphed into a weathered ancient Greek temple, reminding me of history and old things, it became a ruin, and then a house for medieval peasants and then a booth from the Renaissance Fair. Only once had you close enough to really focus did it stop changing and return to normal. Dreams operated on the edge of consciousness and direct concentration could dispel them. This is just so cool. Not scary. Gabby said, looking around with wonder. Her smile turned into an evil grin. So far. She began walking faster. We kept up with her and Kurt asked, where are we going? There's an abandoned house two blocks over. Let's break in and see how scared we can get. That definitely sounded like a plan. Traversing a maze-like landscape of sidewalks, asphalt cars, and houses that kept constantly changing in shape, meaning, and scope. We, nevertheless, made decent progress straight toward our destination. We were still awake, after all. And there was always a long, narrow tube of reality wherever I focused my eyes. We kept lookout. While Gabby bashed in a low-rectangle basement window through with a rock. We carefully slipped down one by one. It was only after I stood and looked around the dark, musty basement by dull and direct orange light that I realized I hadn't thought to look at the house's exterior. I'd been too caught up on the shifting dreamscape to get a sense of what kind of building we were climbing into. The basement itself didn't look too strange. The gray, dirty floor ran uniformly around the cramped space, and we investigated nooks and crannies among the stone foundation for a time by the light of our phones. Look, Gabby said excitedly. I followed her pointing finger to a skull, partially buried in the gray dirt. Kurt laughed and poked it. It looks so real. Under our collective gazes, it turned into a half-buried teapot, 
Oh. Gabby looked positively hungry for more. Let's go upstairs. The creaking wood under our feet was oddly dark, and I put my phone light close, trying to figure out why, but the shades and animation style of the steps kept changing, as if I was watching a movie, and then a cartoon, and then a sketch, and then a comic. I fought down a wave of nausea and looked away, hoping that this trip wasn't about to turn bad. I froze at the top of the stairs. Oh, sorry. Four people stood with them. A woman at the sink made at the fridge and two kids sitting at the kitchen table. They all stood unmoving and stared at the three of us blankly. Likely too shocked to react. Bert held up his hands. Oh my god, wrong house. Gabby stood between us. Also worriedly still, I expected the father to call the cops or the kids to scream or the mother to angle as she was out of the house. But none of them moved. As always, Gabby was the first to suspect that something was wrong. She stepped to the side. At first just once, but then twice, and then a third time. The family of four turned their heads and gazed to follow her, but none of them spoke a word or otherwise moved. What the hell is this? Kurt asked, gripping my upper arm tightly. Her mother turned her gaze to him, her expression still blank. Don't swear. I whispered to him, keeping my eyes on the family. While I slowly followed Gabby, there are children present. I didn't care where we were going, only that we were going somewhere else. As such, we were halfway up the next oddly darkened steps before I realized we were not heading for some sort of split-level exit. I hissed, Gabby, we can't go upstairs, there are people here. She turned and looked back at me. Or what? She whispered, this place burned down two months ago. I kept looking at her, but my thoughts went back to the dark stairs and walls. They were blackened. I now understood, because they were charred. And the family in the kitchen. Kurt's grip on my arm became painful. What the hell is going on? Why am I dreaming of a family that died here? He looked up at both of us fiercely. I didn't know about any dead family beforehand. It's a dream state, Gabby said. With a visible excitement, we must be seeing things outside of the normal perception. She turned and made a move down the second floor hallway. I caught her arm, and for a moment, all of us were physically connected. Gab, if that's true, it's time to go home. Study until we know more. Are you kidding? She pulled away, breaking contact. What if it's the one-time deal? An accident of timing and biology. These are the big leaks. This is what we've always looked for. She darted off, disappearing into the shifting darkness and shades of the surreal second floor hallway. Kurt let go too. Playing the other direction, back down the stairs. I can't, I'm so, I just can't. Torn and suddenly alone, I watched Kurt swing around the charred banister pole at the bottom of the stairs and run out of sight. Then I turned to face the shifting, uncertain hallway. I had to believe Kurt would be all right. Since he was heading for the front door, Gabby, on the other hand, was heading deeper into a place where the living very much did not belong. I stepped forward into a swaying sense of subtle dizziness that hung about the second floor proper. It took a few moments before the slow back and forth and eerie creaking made sense. 
a boat. It felt like I was on a narrow hold of a boat. But on what ocean were we drifting? The phone in my hand had become a small torch burning with a dim white flame, and I held it there before me as I cautiously opened the first door. It creaked horribly and splintered away, too charred to function. A low rumble echoed through the hallway as I slept within the burnt room, feeling like I just barely avoided some sort of gaze or awareness coming around a distant corner. I leaned back against the wall, breathing hard but quietly, telling myself that it was just a dream, and that I had often, for that matter, throughout much of my life, in dreams, I'd fled that unhallowed awareness just around the corner, always diving for safety just before it learned of my existence, but now it was here, my breathing stilled, as I finally cast my sight around the room, dolls, God, why dolls? A good forty-odd eerie. Little dolls with charred faces sat littered about the faded pink room in various pieces, their eyes fixated on me from every angle. I stared, my pulse growing to a roar in my head until I finally forced to breathe again. But then, they all seemed too damaged by the fire to move. Beyond them, a soot-stained window that showed out only onto dark emerald fog. The subtle motion of our surreal shit became prominent in my limbs again. I inched my way around the room to stare out through the darkened panes. Limitless black waters roiled just below, at about the height of the first floor ceiling. So it was just the second floor and above that were partially in another world. Then, I tucked down behind the bed, hiding among the glaring broken dolls as the awareness and the hallway brushed past. It paused on the broken door and perhaps even gazed in some monstrous eye, but I dared not look. Satisfied that the room was empty, whatever it was out there finally moved on. I'd give it a good long minute before I climbed back to my feet and crept into the hallway. Where had it gone? The way back, the stairs down were gone, replaced by a window on a green fog and dark waters. No matter, Gabby was the other direction, and I knew her well enough to skip the rest of the doors on the second floor. She would be headed straight for the attic. It was about that moment, staring at the slightly open door, another set of upper stairs, that I began feeling more clear-headed. Looking back, I saw two images, one fading and one growing, stronger, the horrible otherworldly hold I crept down. In a gaping burnt shell of a house with no solid second floor to speak of, I stood on an overhanging ledge of charred wood which was physically unreachable from the stairs in the distance. Implicitly, I understood in that moment that I was not just dreaming. The dream state had actually let us tread into something deeper, something dark, blister, on reality. That had bubbled and festered into its own little nightmare. And in the real world, the attic door was closed and locked. God damn it, Abby, I muttered. Not that there was a choice, considering that I had a normal way down from a high and unstable location, I took another 
of the circular dark blue peels. From my pocket and swallowed it, I waited breathlessly. The swaying and creaking returned rather quickly and I began to lose sight of the reel. Near my hand, the attic door was both closed and open, but closed and open, both closed and open, and then just open. Set loose like a runner at the start line, I pulled it the rest of the way and sprinted up the steps. I was scared by how long I left Gabby on her own. My white torch snuffed out as I moved straight into the horizontal ceiling of absolute darkness that hovered level with the top of the attic stairs. I crouched to avoid nails that might be sticking down from the roof. The expansive space ran cool with drafts from the ocean air outside. I used those drafts to inch along through the void. I felt melted, plastic, soot, and charred wood with my fingers as I moved. This was still the burned out attic, so why was it so impossibly dark? Gabby's whisper came from somewhere in the abyss. He's here. I'd found her. Mostly, who? I whispered back. The older brother who set the house on fire. I froze in the dark, taking in her meaning. Was he? She shrieked suddenly, and then I heard the wood greet. Motion erupted from somewhere ahead to my right. Crawling forward and grimacing for fear of nails, I saw that the noise of struggling and managed to gasp her flailing hand. She knew it was me immediately and then pulled hard to escape something and crawled past me. I was too slow. Painfully hot fingers that held the texture of overcooked hot dogs gripped my ankle and my kicks did no damage to whatsoever my shoes were striking. Horrific stench hit my nose, barely proceeding in charred corpse climbing on top of me, grappling with the nightmarish arsonist. I fought with a dreamlike strength. That is to say, none, for every hit felt like I was doing nothing at all. My efforts to fight back held no impact. The idea came to me in a flash. Out of my own fears, instead of fighting off an unseen horror, I grasped his front and side and stood him up as fast as I could. He groaned, gurgled, and convulsed, and foul-smelling goo hit my face from above. I didn't need to see him to know what I had done. Letting go, I moved away, free to leave now that he was pinned to the roof by dozens of jutting nails that'd be several inches long. Don't, he choked out, audibly struck. Don't leave me here. Don't let it have me. Forgive me. Let me go. Or almost there, please. You have no idea. I ignored him. Gabby found my hand in the dark, and we crawled our way to some sort of exit. But it was not the stairs back down. We emerged through a small hatch on the deck of the Nightmare's ship proper. Here, the green fog was the thickest. Lit only by a spectral glow from the unseen moon, above us a wooden platform rose to a crest. And on that platform, a figure silhouette stood at the wheel. The silhouette's head and shoulders shifted as it slowly turned to look at us, and I found myself unable to move at all, no matter how hard I tried. The effort only produced a subtle dark blue static along the outside of my limbs. We remained on our hands and knees. 
two dark red points, like zero-dimensional rubies with endless depth, studied us for a moment. Were we going to die? Was it going to kill us? Who or what was it? We'd crawled through a dead family unending nightmare and a child arsonist private hell to find what? The ruby eyes shifted away, facing ahead again, and I was suddenly able to move. It began a point, straight ahead at some distant approaching destination, and what fog around us rolled in a new breeze and began to slide away. I pulled Gabby back toward the hatch, but she resisted, her eyes gleamed by spectral moonlight. Don't do it, I whispered, but she crawled out of my immediate grasp as I remained at the hatch back of the real world. She pulled out a handful of dark blue pills I'd given her and downed them all in one determined gulp. I have to know. I screamed at her, but she scrambled to her feet and began to ascend, fully the ship towards the figure. I thought to go after her still, even though... But I felt it coming, and over the waves that awareness larger and closer than ever, no longer just a stalking shadow of itself, but real, present, and growing nearer. Every almost encounter with it I had ever had in dreams had been nothing but avoiding the smallest shiver of that ultimate terror which lay ahead on this dark ocean. I knew then that if I had ever failed to avoid it knowing of me, that if I had ever gone around those dreamscapes corners just a little bit slower and gotten seen in the utmost indescribable sense, I would have died in my sleep, or worse, crying. I was crying. I could actually see a shadow of the future in my mind, generated by my dream state. I could crawl back into the hatch and let Gabby find what she was looking for ever since her parents had died. And nobody in my world would ever see her again. I would live the rest of my life wondering if she was suffering an unimaginable fate all alone, and God knew whatever this was. It was coming up over the waves, seconds, heartbeats. We had mere moments. Screaming silently in my head, I abandoned my grip on the hatch and ran to the charred wood of the ghastly ship and tackled her. She struggled a bit and clawed at me, but I dragged her away. There was no time for going back the way we came. A rising scream that shook the world reached a crescendo. As the ship tilted along a massive wave, preceding the unknowable beast, the waters were dark enough to hide us from its sight and that we would have to be enough. With an instinctual prayer expressed by a leap of my heart in my chest, I pulled her over the side with me and we plunged down into the icy pitch and threw it down on hard autumn chilled grass where her legs snapped like a twig and my arms shattered in four places. Of course, we could never truly explain to anyone why we jumped from the roof of that burnt out house Kurt swore that his peel had worn off by the time he saw us fall out of thin air I did my best to convince him that it was the last effect of his dream state my peels I grounded up underneath my shoe while I painfully waited for the ambulance to arrive I sat by her in the hospital at least as much as they would let me with no parents and family I was her emergency contact, and the confused doctor explained they had honestly had no idea what was wrong with her. She was unresponsive and wouldn't wake up, but unlike a coma patient, her brain 
activity was constantly very high. Coma patients never experienced REM sleep almost by definition, but she was always in it, exhibiting signs of extreme stress. Besides, he'd never seen anything like it. But I knew what it was. I'd only saved her body. She overdosed on dreams and fear, and the rest of her was still there in the nightmare layer of reality. What she might have found, I'll never know, but I no longer enjoy fear. I've seen where it comes from, nearly touched its source directly. Nearly had it become aware of me, personally in return. And I have absolutely no desire to go back there, before I see death a second time. And he drags me, kicking and screaming, into its inescapable maw.